For sure, it's all about compounding. I mean, we you know we preach it to our user base of it's good steady growth over long periods of time that sort of amount to significant money, and it's the same thing in our business. I think from launch to a hundred million on the platform, it took us I think eighteen months, maybe even a little over eighteen months. We are now doing that every week. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the FinTech Leaders Podcast, a show where we will learn from today's global leaders that will dominate the 21st century in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Today, I bring you my Money 2020 conversation with Brian Barnes, founder and CEO of M1 Finance, one of the fastest growing financial super apps in the US, offering automated investing, borrowing, and several banking products. Founded in Chicago just five years ago, N1 currently manages over $5 billion for its clients and has raised more than $300 million from leading investors, including SoftBank, KOTU, ClockTower, and Left Lane. This was truly a fascinating catch-up with Brian, and I learned a ton. I'm sure you will as well. And we covered a lot of things like M1's meteoric rise over the past couple of years, We covered the power of compounding, both for M1's clients and for the company itself. It took them over 18 months to reach $100 million under management, but now they're adding that same amount on a weekly basis. We talked about the fascinating and unique story of how Brian personally bought First National Bank of Bull, one of the smallest banks in the U.S., We talked about his thought process that drove this transaction and his plans for the future of the bank. And finally, Brian shares his advice and reflections for aspiring entrepreneurs and why he absolutely enjoys mentoring up-and-coming founders. All right, so we are here live from Vegas at Money 2020 with Brian Barnes from M1. How's it going, man? Good to catch up it's again. Going very well. Yeah, good to see you. Likewise, likewise. I'm, I'm excited to talk because I think last time we talked, it was about a year and a half ago. That's, uh, that's an eternity in fintech land. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everything we talked about is outdated. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you're, not M1. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're, I mean, you've grown like crazy. You're almost a different company at this point. When we talked, you were mostly investing, right? Asset management. So tell us about, you know, what's going on and what, what has happened in the last year and a half. And then we can delve in into some of the exciting specifics. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, if we go back to, I don't call it January 2020, M1 had 38 employees. We had raised $25 million. We had about $800 million on the platform. We were primarily uh, investing focused. We had invest and borrow out at the time. Uh, spend was coming. So we had, a, you know, we're somewhat through the, the wait list on that. But yeah, in the last year and a half, we've grown from 38 employees to over 300. Uh, we've gone from 800 million on the platform to about 6 billion. Uh, we've gone from raising 25 million to raising an additional 300 million. <laughs> we've launched our spend product. We launched a credit card, uh, and then uh, the more recent news is I purchased a, a nationally chartered bank. And so we will be uh, using that as infrastructure to launch more banking products. So think personal loans, auto loans, mortgages, HELOCs, and the like. And so it's really just expanding the, the platform, growing the user base, growing the asset base, and, and continuing to try to build what we think people want in personal finance. Talk about the growth of assets, because it feels like 
the first 100 or the first billion is, you know, takes a while. Then the second billion takes half of that time and, and then, you know, so on and so forth. Has that been your experience? For sure. It's all about compounding. I mean, we, you know, we preach it to our user base of, you know, it, it's good steady growth over long periods of time that sort of amount to significant money. And it's the same thing in our business. I think from launch to a hundred million on the platform, it took us, I think 18 months, maybe even a little over 18 months. We are now doing that every week. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, like things grow faster as you, as you get scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you made national headlines last week. You bought one of the smallest banks in the country, I, yep. right? I, um, tell us about the experience of due diligence bank, canvassing, I guess it's 5,000 banks in the country or so. And how did you land on you know, the final decision? So there's part, you know, part of the master plan and then part there's serendipity associated with it. And so ideally M1 owns a bank at some point in time. And you know, we, we really do want to be comprehensive personal finance platform, combine digital brokerage, digital banking, all into one application, have each product stand alone as a best in class product, but then have them enhance one another so that the, the whole of the platform is greater than the sum of the parts is, is really what we're trying to do. Uh, there's different regulatory regimes if you're a bank holding company versus an individual buying a bank, and it's you know Federal Reserve versus OCC, and it's a very difficult process to become a bank holding company, especially when you're an operating company already. And, and so that that was a limiting factor for M1 buying the bank. At least now, we just have a little bit of work to do before can become a bank holding company and, and do all the things required of that. And so this was a little bit of a half step of you know hey you know if I can buy the bank set it up as a banking as a service provider. We just have to, you know, happen to have an anchor client in M1 to point to, but then open it up to, to other clients. Uh, it allows us to do what M1 wants to do long-term and, you know, sort of do a, a half step to the the ultimate plan. So that was the thinking. In terms of the diligence process, you know, we, we because I'm buying it, it needed to be a, a very small bank. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have the balance sheet that, uh, that M1 has. Um, we wanted a nationally chartered uh, bank as opposed to a state bank. And, you know, there's benefits associated with that. Um, and it was working with our law firm, uh, Barrick Ferrazano, uh, then a, a fantastic partner there, uh, an accounting firm, RSM, you know, to help with the legal tax uh, compliance uh, consulting type stuff. And identified this, you know, fantastic bank that was small, led by an incredible team, incredibly clean. And so it was, you know, one of the things that, and, and the CEO of it, it's Northern Minnesota Bank, you know, uh, like mining town. He's got an IT degree. He's incredibly smart with technology. Like he could not have been the, the more perfect person to be at the bank. And so sort of stars aligned, made it happen. And it was a pretty quick process. So we identified the bank basically January of 2020. And then we had closed the transaction by end of July. So it was like a six and a half month process from finding it to close, which is- 2021 probably. 2021, yeah. correct. Yeah, yeah. Time's yeah. a blur. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so, yeah, the, it took about six and a half months, um, which, you know, you, you look at some of the, either people going through the DeNovo process, that's been two, three, four years, people doing the acquisition, it's been two, three years. And so, you know, it was uh, like, it, it is not the full step of, of M1 acquiring a bank, but it's a half step and we were able to do it in a short amount of time. Interesting. Uh, and um, I guess you, you considered the other routes, like going for a or charter, you know, or like, it sounds like you take the half step and eventually you, you get closer. And how, how does that work? Eventually you sell the bank to M1? Um, potentially that, you know, there, there's no like contract or any terms behind M1, you know, uh, acquiring the bank. One of the things that we actually, 
and, and, and truthfully, rightly so, got a little bit of if M1 Holdings, you know, our parent company, were to try to become a bank holding company, it would be a little bit of an uphill battle because they would look at me and say, you've never been a bank director, you've never been a bank executive, same thing with your executive team. Well, now you have. And exactly, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> now it starts the clock ticking that I'm, you know, uh, chairman of the board of this teeny tiny little bank and, you know, really building up the, like, infrastructure and the like. And it, it allows... There's no you know deal between M1 and, and the bank for you know any acquisition, but I think it's uh, when M1 down the road is ready to sort of bite the bullet on the bank holding company, it just makes it potentially a little bit more of a straightforward process where I'm not a unknown entity to yeah. the regulators and and you know walking into that that sphere for the first time makes makes a ton of sense. Uh, let's talk a bit about you know all your new features at M1 and you know right now who's your typical client. And what are the most popular products that they're using? Yeah, so uh, we are probably still best known for our investing platform uh, that has about $5.5 billion on that platform. And that is free automated investing in a custom soccer ETF portfolio. So it's free stock and ETF investing, much like you know, a Robinhood or public. It's not stock trading, though. It's, it's design a portfolio and then automate that portfolio. And so it's much more geared towards long-term investing, portfolio management, automated investing, going into a diversified portfolio. So, you know, starts with the same core action of buy a stock, but it's a little bit different of a, a mindset. Uh, M1 Borrow is lending based on what that portfolio value is. And so really you can borrow 35% of your portfolio's value at 2%. So access to low cost credit. And then M1 Spend is a checking account, a debit card, and we just released a credit card. And so the you know checking account is a high yield checking account. Debit card is a cash back uh, debit card. And then the credit card is unique where you get extra cash back based on what's in your investment portfolio. So if you own Netflix stock, you get 10% cash back at Netflix if you put your subscription through the card. If you own Starbucks stock, you get 5% cash back at Starbucks. And so it, we have, I think it's like 60 different companies and it, you know, equates to 80 different brands and it's, you know, it's Costco, it's all the airlines, it's Uber, it's, you know, Uber Eats, you know, so like any real like retail location, uh, hotel, anywhere where you can sort of buy stuff, there's a, a extra incentive reward associated with that. So those are the the products that the ideal clientele, you know, it, it's call it mid to modest affluence. And so, you know, we, we define that like low five, six, or low seven figures of, of investable assets. So, you know, someone has $10,000 to their name up to 3 million is sort of our, our bread and butter. Uh, it's people who have a do-it-themselves mentality. So they'd rather have a platform to help them decide what to do with their own money rather than, you know, work with an advisor yeah. or hand it off to, to someone. And then it's, yeah, very much a long-term oriented wealth management, wealth building, personal finance management uh, platform versus a stock trading or, you know, financial entertainment type type solution. Understood, understood. So there's a few things that have been going on in the market. First of all, I guess the pie is getting bigger because, you know, there's just consumers are paying attention. But at the same time, you have meaningful competitors, right? Sure. There are <laughs> no, no shortage of them. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, you can talk about the incumbents, but you have also very modern competitors, right? But you're all thriving. Uh, you're all doing good. Where does that reverberate? I mean, obviously customer acquisition, but also how do you hire the best talent when you're competing, you know, with all these other companies uh, nationwide? Yeah, and no, I mean, you know, competition is a blessing and a curse. And the, the reason for a lot of the competition is twofold. One, the market's absolutely enormous. You know, Americans have $130 trillion of net worth that they need to manage across, you know, their 
you know, investable assets, their hard assets, their home, their car. And so like, you know, just money management is a, a big space. And then you sort of couple that with the incumbents aren't, you know, no one thinks that they're the most innovative, you know, forward thinking, uh, progressive, uh, like industry out there. And so I do think it's been hampered by sort of the regulatory hurdles that need to, and, you know, regulatory capital to get started. And now that, you know, the, there's a pretty rich fundraising environment, like almost the consumer companies that were low hanging fruit have already been attacked. And now it's, you know, go into education and technology and healthcare and the like. And so, you know, huge markets for opportunity and creation in that. I think it is not a winner take all market. Um, you know, I think like if there's one way to watch a movie and, you know, billionaires watch movies the same way that people who are living paycheck to paycheck in personal finance space, people who are living paycheck to paycheck need very different, you know, things from a financial perspective than, than billionaires. And so there's a, there's a wealth dynamic, there's a personality, you know, like a, a psychographic perspective of, are you a short-term trader? Are you a long-term investor? Do you like this stuff? Do you want to manage it yourself? Do you want to hand it off? So I think it's going to continue to be a somewhat fragmented market. And I think that allows for many winners in this space. And it, you know, there are, I don't know, 50 giant banks in the US that like any venture firm would be have had been happy to have seated. And I think, you know, there there can be 50 successful fintech companies that that come out of this era or generation. Some will be disproportionately successful, but it's also not it's not a thousand. <laughs> it seems like there might be a, a thousand now. So I think you know there there will be some consolidation over time. Uh, but I think the the different market that you go after, the product that you sell, the experience, the value prop, like th- th- there's so many different ways to play in this industry. Yeah. Last time we spoke, I asked you about entrepreneurial advice, and you know you gave a good answer. But now you have more information. Well, and- what was my answer? I don't even know. What- <laughs> <laughs> but you you know now you've gone through hyper growth. Yep. Uh, not that you hadn't, but now you know you you've in the last year you've hired sounds like two hundred and fifty people, yep. right? Um, what have you learned in the last year? So much, and like continue to keep learning. And I, I'd say that, like. The unknowns, unknown, <laughs> you know, keep getting you know uh, uh, brought to the surface, and so you know, kind of you know, learn areas that I didn't even know existed. I would say the entrepreneurial journey, especially as the company scales, the company changes massively, and my role changes massively. Um, and so when the company was, I don't know, sub twenty five people. I was both like the most senior person at the company and the most junior person at the company where it was, you know, I, I was able to have some cachet as CEO and, and founder and, you know, sort of direct the, the works at the vision and the like, but it was, if you didn't have a person for it, I jumped in and I did it. And so, you know, it was like, I would help with the marketing thing and then I would, you know, write copy and, you know, I would like, uh, help with, uh, the legal stuff. And then I would review contracts and, or, or write them where, which I had no business doing. And so, you know, you, you, you do a lot as the, the company grows, it gets, it moves from the land of generalists, you know, one person hand, having six jobs to then six people having six jobs to six jobs handled by teams of three people. And so it, it does get a little bit more specialized. It requires me to abstract myself a little bit more. And it's, you know, less about can I be sort of like pound for pound productive and, you know, jump in and, and get stuff done to how can we deploy 300 people in a cost effect, you know, in a efficient way and, and get them to be rowing in the same direction, so to speak. And, and so I, I think it's just realizing that what has made you successful historically is not what's needed at that point in time or in the future. And so I do think there is a little bit of hyper quip adapting to the circumstances of the business and, and, you know, sort of realizing a 300 person company is very different than a, you know, 50 person company. And, you know, even like a thousand person or 1500 person or 5,000, 10,000, those are, they're just different animals and they require a different skill set. And when you think of your entrepreneurial journey, are there any 
names or people that come to mind that have been the most helpful? <laughs> there are there are so many, and I like I'm hesitant to even name names <laughs> because it w- would definitely omit a few that have been absolutely phenomenal in my journey. My board and investors have been absolutely fantastic, super supportive, incredibly helpful, and it is one of those things. Like a lot of them are in a similar situation to me, plus 15 more years of experience. And so, you know, we, we probably have the same motivation and drive and intellect and the like, but I can't compete with them on an experience uh, standpoint. And so the idea of them having been there and done that propels my journey a lot faster. And, and they've been nothing but the most like gracious in terms of offering advice and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so, so many people have been incredibly helpful to, to me in the journey. And do you like to the same? Do you like to help uh, emerging uh, founders and entrepreneurs? Yeah, where I can. Um, you know, we've been super fortunate where, you know, M1's done well. And so pe- people come for my advice, whether it's uh, merited or not. And then, you know, I've been fortunate to invest in a couple young companies and, and you know, help them with, here are stupid mistakes I made when, you know, we, we were small. Please don't do the same thing. And so, yeah, uh, I think entrepreneurs have like an enjoyment of building and delivering great products. And so, you know, anybody who has that like spark of energy, I, like I'm super appreciative of what they do. I want to support them. I want to help them in any way that I can. And and it, it's also hard. Like, you know, the there is equal amounts of skill and perseverance, but then there's, you know, a luck component to things. And so, you know, any, anything that you can do to to help people who want to make a difference, you know, I, I get a lot of joy and satisfaction from that. Outstanding. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining. And, you know, I'm going to be following super closely what you do and excited to to see M1 continue to thrive. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this uh, not every 18 months, but, you know, with, with a more frequent cadence. It's, it's always great to catch up. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this great, great conversation with the impressive Brian Barnes from M1 Finance. Stay tuned next week for more amazing conversations and leadership lessons. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows. It helps and truly means a lot. As always, I want to extend a very special thank you to the great editor, Rafael Ostria, for his amazing work behind the scenes. Signing off till next week. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.